0: You're drowned
1: by my perfect fire,
0: my perfect life. Hello everybody! Hello uh uh oh, oh. Uh, <laughs> uh oh uh oh, uh uh oh I like that. It's like uh oh, who does it remind me of? Not the Baxter Boys, who's the other one?
1: Uh the the uh InSync. No, before that. Um uh go uh, back, go uh, way back, go back to junior high. Oh J high baby. The Hansen, no, 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 um, um, what? Well, come on, new kids the on the block. B- new Nkotb. What? Nkotb.
0: New kids on the block. Wow, you're you're hipper than I am already. Hey, everybody. This is the Word on the Hill. You're listening to the Lanky Guys. My name is Scott Powell, and I'm Father Adermased. B- <laughs> 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 We're so excited that you guys are here today. It is the end of the school <laughs> year here in Boulder, Colorado, at the University of Colorado, and we are wrecked. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think we're both a little exhausted. Totally lot, exhausted. Lot
1: yeah, it, it's um it's wonderful. It, you know the the lies of summer are starting to begin. I don't know if you guys do this. you say the own... lies
0: of summer? Uh-huh. Uh-oh.
1: You know what the lies of summer are? I don't. I, the lies of summer is like you're super tapped out in the spring and you're like, "Oh dude, as soon as summertime gets here, <sighs> Everything's going to change and it's going to be all right. I don't say that in my life. My you life is
0: the opposite of that.
1: Yeah, I, well, you, yeah, my lies are summer. I'm like, oh, when the students leave, I'm just going to be like chilled out, man. No, We're just going to be drinking to mojitos <laughs> and, and, uh, and mint juleps and margaritas. Maybe the reason you're not feeling that yet is that it snowed
0: last night. It snowed last night? When did you get up today? I mean... Sorry, uh, never mind. When the
1: sun was shining...
0: Well, when I got up, there was still snow on the ground.
1: Dude, did you hear the thunderstorm a couple of weeks ago? Yesterday. Was that yesterday? (laughs) Was that thunderstorm? That was two days ago. Yeah, that's yesterday.
0: Oh, shoot. You do the math. Oh. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) It is the end of the year, you guys. And There's it, a lot going Father Peter mm-hmm. just celebrated his 10-year anniversary as a priest. Yee-ow. And part of the reason we're exhausted is there was a huge blowout party over the weekend.
1: Which was, To like, celebrate you. Which was one of like the happiest <clears throat> parties I've ever had in my whole life. I think everybody experienced that, though. It was which just is like, not so a common positive. thing. But we all felt that because
0: we, of you, which is, it's just profound. And when, one of the things that came out of the night is that what makes Father Peter great as a pastor is that he... He allows people to become holy. That's Mm. what he does. That's who he is. And that was the I mean, it was packed shoulder to shoulder in this room, in this whole building. And I mean that was the constant refrain is that you have made it's not that you have to do everything or have your face on everything. It's that you actually make people come alive. And that was the testimonies that you were getting, as everyone's like, It's because of Father Peter That I was able to pursue this, or become holy, or do this, or be a good father, or be a seminary and remain Catholic. Yeah, which is not an easy thing to do. No, we (laughs) didn't. Anyway, that's just a shout out to you, dude. It was really, it was just really beautiful. And while we were there, there was a special surprise given to you. Well, this and is to us.
1: Yeah, because we were talking about like quail coming out of our noses and like how what what is like that three actually? years ago. I know this in is the like, podcast. This is like the best. So Linda Minette, like she made us quail, and it was like so awesome I and nev- wonderful. It was and like it was such like a fancy gift to me
0: and put on this cool plate, and it had one of those little you know covers that you lift off, like, like silver platter. Pants. Yeah, it was cool. It so, was. It was a fascinating taste. I've never tried quail before. No, um, it was delightful.
1: It was it was delightful. But I could also see if you ate quail forever, it might be a little intense. It's it's a it's because there's a richness to the meat too. I don't think it would
0: take much to start having it come out of your nostrils. So. <laughs> anyway, I have one more shout out. Yo yo, I want to give a shout out to uh, Catholic Charities of Odessa, can of Odessa, Texas who uh, they invited me to speak at their uh, their their banquet of hope dinner, celebrating all the things they're doing. And I was I was humbled to be down there speaking as their keynote speaker, but I was also just really humbled by what these guys are doing. They are taking the light of Christ to some of the most impoverished folks in the country, probably. And and really, they're building up the dignity of the human person in a pretty profound way. So I was pretty moved being down there. So just a shout out to all you guys who are a part of uh, Catholic Charities of Odessa. Hopefully you listen to the podcast. If you don't,
1: you should yeah well and well then they'll never hear that if they don't but, uh, true, <laughs> true but their that. friend will tell them yes the only thing i really know odessa for is um friday night lights no it's I... midland midland, odessa. That's oh, where midland it odessa is uh is from the tv show heroes um oh. there, there was a big there was some stuff that took place in in odessa stuff so. goes down in odessa man dude that's it that's exactly it man welcome to texas <laughs> that is
0: uh classic texas Oil rigs as far as the eye could see. I've never seen anything like it. Really? Yeah. No, literally, as the plane was landing, it was just open space and thousands upon thousands of oil wells just everywhere. i just, I just never seen that before.
1: Dude. It was kind of cool.
0: of Awesome. Weird. And you're kind of
1: cool. And well, th- th- this uh, takes us to the unction of the sixth Sunday of <laughs> Easter. Yeah, you bet it does. Dude, so come on. you come on, give me some props on the word using I, word. I unction. give you
0: props. I'm embarrassed because I don't totally know what it means. I know it means
1: anointing with oil.
0: Yeah, okay, that's what I thought it meant. How yeah. is that applicable?
1: Because you just talked about the oil fields of Odessa. Ah, uh, And then and then the unction, the blessing. Unction is also kind of a shorthand of blessing. Okay, okay. So, so they blessed you in Odessa, you blessed them, and then now we're getting no blessed with the sixth Sunday of Easter.
0: Of which I can't find any oil in any of the readings. I can't either. It's, so be it.
1: They're, you know. well said
0: all right our first reading this week is coming from the book of acts of the apostles acts chapter 15 verses 1 through 2 and then jumping 20 verses all the way to verse 22 to 29 and we miss all the good stuff i read all of that
1: which is it's all the good stuff it's the fighting and the, the it's the mess that the church is yeah which is okay did I read the wrong Sunday? No, there's little,
0: there's a small amount of fighting, and there's a lot, oh, a oh, lot of testimony.
1: Oh no, it's the midsection of Revelation that I'm all into. So oh. before we get to Revelation, it's Psalm sixty-seven. Did you read the middle part of Acts of the Apostles? Uh, I did. It's good stuff. Yeah, yeah, no, it's good. Yeah, everybody's getting all up in everybody's business and grills and stuff. Um, and then uh, Psalm sixty-seven, two to three, five, six, and eight, Ooh. with a responsorial is uh, from the fourth of the the particular unction. You've given me the giggles today. Hey, everything is funny. You know what it is? Is responsories.
0: Uh, what does that remind me of? <laughs> Something that you quote. Um, I don't know.
1: Um, but the Cheetos. Key and, the,
0: key and peel it's reminding me of somehow.
1: Dude, the Flamin' Hot Limon Cheetos oh. seriously have become a new standard. Basically, it's sitting right next to our Sour Bright Crawlers. <laughs> yeah. But then it's it's yeah. also next to our our, Lindman, our Lindor, Lindor chocolates. Lind, um The blue ones, the, the dark ones, those are good.
0: All day long, I've been looking forward to coming up here and having snacks. <laughs> really, all day long, I've been thinking about it. Looking at my watch, wondering when I can come up and set up for the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> all right, our second reading is coming from Revelation chapter 21 Revelation. <laughs> verses 10 through 14 and then jumping to 22 through 23. And they took my
1: my happy stuff out of the middle on well, that. Well, we'll talk about it. We'll I bring know. it back in for the Peter it's dude, all right. And then textualize. Um here dude, there's something weird here though. There's an alternate reading from the 7th Sunday of Easter.
0: Really? Not yeah. in,
1: not in my little yeah. thing in my little um so i don't know what that i, I, I just it's just the thing went a little over here I'm um, just changed it up a little bit <laughs> so that being said we're our gospel is from john fourteen <laughs> twenty three to 29 suckers you better believe it suckers all right well good night everybody thanks for listening dude do, and, do uh, you know how many times you've done that joke yes i do Come on, give me give me a number. Oh, no, I don't know exactly. Every week, <laughs> not every week. I've done it a few times.
0: Come on, I I I, I have a personality that likes consistency.
1: You do. And, I do. So and, this and is and befitting. It's really befitting. The only problem is that we didn't have bratwurst and nachos before the podcast. It's is we got. Let's get on with this. <laughs> I I feel like I'm jibber jabbering on everybody here. jibber jib jab jab jibber jab, jab. Uh,
0: so I think we mentioned last week um last week's first reading if you remember from from also from Acts ended on this really bright note of they were baptizing everybody and they were everybody was accepting Christ and the gentiles were coming in and everyone was rejoicing and the end and we mentioned that as when we got to this week the next chapter things were going to start to get ugly. Yeah. And that's that's what happens here at the beginning of uh, Acts 15. So if you remember what happened where we left where we left off last week on peter and friends um yeah every, everybody was happy everything's good everyone you're man that's a no no i'm <laughs> i know it was a dumb joke but you were giving me the, the stink eye. eye no
1: no i was just looking at you thinking about other things
0: <laughs> what were you thinking about
1: i i was thinking about flying I, your drone I, I was thinking about recharging my batteries for my drone because my wait, battery wait, really? me, yeah yeah over there i looked at them and then i started thinking about balancing lipo batteries and you were talking and i just and then i and then i i like totally tuned out and i feel like the biggest jerk ever dude i shouldn't have called you out on it i know cuz you to. you want to know the truth of it it's like welcome to my brain ladies and gentlemen yeah so yeah. anyway we're still we're still caught with a bunch of people acting out what oh acts of the apostles oh Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah um <laughs> anyway so
0: yeah everybody was happy everybody's great everybody's accepting christ it's beautiful but then everything gets ugly. So where we start this week, it's immediately after that. And it says, some people came down or some who had come down from Judea were instructing the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the Mosaic practice, you cannot be saved.
1: This is a big question. That's a
0: bold thing to do, by the way. So, I mean, here we are. We're in Antioch, Yeah, bold, I believe, bold right? claim.
1: Yeah, Antioch.
0: Yeah, which is, you know, we're we're with Paul. Paul and crew. Paul and
1: company. Um, Which is important. Is this the first missionary journey or second missionary journey of Paul?
0: I think it's the end of the first. Well, he's not on a missionary journey because he's in Antioch, which is headquarters. Headquarters. Got it. But He's finished the the first.
1: Yeah, because the first one is they they had a bunch of people follow him. They try to stone him to death. They make it to Derby, and then he makes it back all the way to Antioch. Yeah,
0: so now he's back. Okay. And and he's like and he's telling everybody along the way, he's like, Look at what happened, this is great, we established churches, there's great news and which then, is where we were last week. And then he comes home and this is what he finds. So imagine, imagine what what's a good uh, An analogy. So, you know, you go away on retreat or something or not. not No,
1: I go on a mission.
0: You go on a mission. Yeah, that's a bit. So you go on a mission or you're, you're at the March for Life in San Francisco, which you were this year. Right. Right. And you come back and you find out that there are some people from Rome. Some people showed up from the Vatican and they have been telling the whole congregation that everything you've been teaching us is actually wrong and that you're not you're incorrect and that they alone know the truth. Which, I mean, the fact that Luke points out here that they came down from Judea is significant because the argument, you see it come out in others of Paul's letters and elsewhere in Acts. The argument they're making is like, look, who is this Paul guy? He's not, you know, he's he's this Roman citizen. He's all these different things. We're from Jerusalem. We're where the apostles are. You can trust us, right? Oof. That's So there's weight. Behind, I mean, because you want to read this and be like, well, who are these guys? What what, right. what clout do they have? Right. Well, they're trying to argue that we have a lot of clout. We're with the apostles. We are the real deal. Paul, you know, we don't even know who this guy is. He wasn't an apostle. He wasn't even with Jesus. Who is this guy?
1: Who's this jamoke?
0: He's easy to undermine in that sense, which yeah. is why Paul is always in his letters on the defensive. But again, their argument is that, okay, unless you're circumcised and you keep these mosaic laws— And they have a good point because— well
1: here here yeah um circumcision is a shorthand way to say entering under the law
0: yeah i mean yeah. It's, yes. it's
1: it's basically you're going to take to yourself the the whole of the practice of taking doing the law so way to cut to the chase you know hey man i uh, you know I, I wanted i wanted to kind of um circumnavigate this uh this problem and kind of get a a full kind of 360 perspective good ticked off about this.
0: What? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Paul's ticked off about this. But and Paul oftentimes comes off as he's he's pretty big-headed. He uh I don't know. He's big on himself a lot. But here's what Paul does. Basically the 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 community that's there, they come together and they say, "Okay, we need to solve this." Right. So let's send Paul, and I think it's Barnabas, right? Let's send him back to Jerusalem, basically to Consult and submit to the authority of the church because Paul—this is the mistake, and a lot of Christians think that Paul is just sort of doing his thing. He is establishing his church. There's a whole school of thought that say basically Paul invented and, and built Christianity. Paul wants nothing to do with that. Paul furthers the mission of the church. But his first response to this is, okay, let's go back and make sure that I am not teaching anything that's in opposition to what the apostles are teaching and in opposition to what Jesus handed on to us. So fine, I'll go back and I'll submit to whatever the apostles have to say. So they choose Paul, and I think it's Barnabas, and they go back to Jerusalem. And this is such a contentious issue that the church launches into what's called the Council of Jerusalem. So it's the
1: first church council. Which, which I can get a real sense from the Gospel of John. I am the vine, you are the branches. He That's who today's are... Gospel, right? It is.
0: I was thinking about that as I saw all the fallen branches from last week's storm all along I know. the roads on the hill. It's me a little too. disconcerting. I know. Yeah, the missionaries, of the Sisters of Life pointed out <laughs> to me. They're all dying and decaying. Like, oh, man. <laughs> yeah. <Brutal. laughs> Welcome to the Gospel. Yeah. But the other thing to note, so they, they launch into this council – and it's not as if, okay, the apostles are on one side and all these kind of false teachers are on the other side. The apostles themselves are battling with each other over this and saying, wait a second, you know, we can't just throw out the old law. God gave us these things and circumcision and the kosher food laws and all these things. And what solves that, and if you read, and this is what the, uh, the reading skips, it doesn't skip it because it's trying to avoid it, but it, it's, it's kind of a longer story. And there is a lot of fighting. It's contentious. It's really ugly at times. Um, Luke is always sort of dancing around the way he tells you that, but he says things like, there was no small argument over this, or there was no little bit of contention. He always uses these kind of weird passive negatives. Anyway, but what happens is then Peter gets up and he says, okay, basically, I've heard all of these arguments. Now let me tell you what the church is going to do. And it's it's literally this idea that Peter has spoken, the matter is closed. Mm. From the beginning, from Acts, the voice of Peter closes the conversation that is how we understand the infallibility and the, the teaching authority that peter has he stands up and basically his argument for this is i don't care what we think and i don't care who you like or don't like or want in the church or what you feel is necessary this is what god has done and he goes back to that account remember in the uh, pigs in the blanket the pigs in a blanket vision and and the going up to caesarea and uh, that guy cornelius this gentile who God pours out the Holy Spirit upon these guys before they have the chance to be baptized, which is not an argument against baptism. It's simply Peter recognizing, okay, God is bringing the Gentiles into the family. We have to catch up to where God is. Right. And that's the testimony that Peter gives. He says, it doesn't matter what I want or what we like. This is what God is doing. The role of the church is to conform ourselves to what God has done and is doing. Yeah. So God is bringing people into the covenant family without circumcision. He's changed the means, and what eventually, through years of development and thinking and, and meditation on this, the church d- decides that, okay, the reason for this is that those laws were meant to be temporary. God didn't change his mind or something, mm-hmm. but the laws of circumcision and of kosher Deuteronomy, we've talked about this a million times, deuteronomos means second law. It was plan B. It wasn't God's original intention. Now, through the grace of Christ, the church can go back to what she was meant to be. Which is not a covenant membership that involves, you know bodily harm, quite frankly, and involves, you know, these restrictions. It is a more full-fledged, beautiful way of entrance into the family of God. It, it's going back to what God intended from the beginning. right? That, that's a very um, condensed version of what the church has figured out over the course of two thousand years. That, okay, this is this is what God wanted. This was plan B for a time, but now he's moved on. And so basically where we pick it up then, the apostles, the elders, these people go ahead and say, okay, now we have to go back out because there's been false teachers. There's been people undermining this teaching. People are confused out there. Now we have to—it's basically, okay, the church had this big counselor that the bishops have convened, and now they issue a document to explain it, right? This is what the church has been doing lately. That's what happens. They issue a document. They send out uh, Paul and Barnabas, or no, who did they send And Silas, to go out and basically proclaim this stuff. And the conclusion they reach is this, and this is what I want to just note, because without this whole backstory, this first reading is kind of confusing. Right. But they go out and they say, okay, you know, we've heard the sum of your number. They had this mandate that we've upset you with the teaching. We've disturbed you. People are confused. They don't know what they're doing. Some of the Gentiles are really excited about this. Some of the Jewish Christians are really upset about this. Some people in general are just, they don't understand what to think or what to believe. But basically they say say the decision of the church is to release them from the burden of the Deuteronomic law. That's That's the bottom line. However, they ask that there are three necessities, three things, three addendums. And this was the Apostle James that suggested this, if you read the intervening story. They said, okay, this is fine. But what we have to realize is that the gospel is now going out to the ends of the earth. This is what Jesus intended. Now we're beginning to see what Jesus was getting at in the beginning of Acts, that it was supposed to go out to the ends of the earth. That was the intention. And as it goes out, we know that, yes, there's a lot of Gentiles who are going to be welcomed in, but there's also a lot of Jewish people living in these places who would love to hear this gospel message, would love to accept the Messiah. But if they see Gentiles just kind of haphazardly throwing off everything that they consider of great importance, they're never going to listen to it. So right. there's these three compromises, basically. And they said, okay, we're just asking you guys, although you're free of the Old Testament law, we want you to abstain from meat sacrifice to idols, because that's just a lot to swallow. <laughs> nah. If you're a Jewish person thinking about this, because idols are a big deal. Um, from meat of strangled animals, this was a, there was a Gentile delicacy in the Greco-Roman world where they really liked their meat really rare, and they would strangle an animal to keep a lot of the blood inside to make it really juicy. That sounds kind of gross. But it was one of those things, the Jewish people who were commanded not to eat blood, it's just one of those, like, I just don't know if I can be around that. That's just too much for me. You yeah. like For the sake of your brethren, change your diet a little bit. And then the other one was unlawful marriage, which literally means you know, closeness in marriage, who you can marry. Don't marry your brother. Don't marry your first cousin. The Jews thought this was very important. The Gentiles just didn't care. Yeah. And the law is saying, look, for the same, basically this is saying, okay, this is what the church has declared. The role of the gospel is to go out to all peoples. But if you're a part of those peoples who it's going out to, you need to approach this so that you're considerate of the people to whom the gospel is going out to. Yeah consider them. Think of where they're coming from. Think of the things that will close them off to the gospel, that will shut their ears, and try to find merciful ways with which to approach it. Because this is what God wants. It's happening now. The church is moving full steam ahead. So make sure you're prepared in mercy and compassion to actually welcome the
1: train that's coming through your town.
0: Right to push the metaphor too far. Does that make sense? <laughs> totally. Is that too long-winded? There's a lot no, there.
1: No, there's a lot there. And these are really important distinctions, which can, are really applicable to us. It's oh, like, man. You have to be really considerate to the people who you're bringing the gospel to. Yeah. And the, these ones, I mean, it's like we really want all tribes of Israel to come back in, and that's going to actually be Uh, one of the first objects of evangelization is is israel the the door of faith is open to the gentiles and they're they're taken to it because they're stoked yeah Yeah. but there you have to be considerate which is awesome and leads us into the psalm which the response is oh god let all the nations praise you yeah which is i mean
0: this is exactly what the first reading is is getting us to
1: which is the but this is what's important. It's internal and external. It's odd intra, odd extra. It's, Ooh, tell me more. It's a uh, you know, that all the nations praise you. It means yeah. that that like you actually have to. The new evangelization is about evangelizing fully initiated Catholics. That's who. who that's that's the old evangelization yeah. is saying we're going out to right. everybody. People who are who know that they're part of the uh, or don't know they're part of the family of God right. and that they're invited into it. But the or new, who are not a part of the family of God. God, but we want them to be. That's what I. That's what I was trying yeah, to say. Which we, is an important distinction. Which the new evangelization is saying: Hey, you're a part of the family of God, and you have no idea that you are. Yes. And and like, which and, is why that's new because that's not a problem the church has historically had. Not but now we have it. Not since actually Israel. Yeah, good point. Like this is that that's what makes the 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 ancient patriarchal times similar to these times, and why yeah. we can glean so much from what we see in the Acts. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, from the early church fathers.
0: Yeah, that's a good point though, because I, I whenever I hear a psalm like this or this psalm, all the nations on earth, I just automatically think of the Gentiles, everybody except Israel, because Israel's just sort of over there; it's a given or something else. They've been singing this an, song for a while. Yeah, but that's not what God is saying. Right. In, I want Israel too. All of them.
1: All of them.
0: Which is very important, um, and that's—I mean—that's what what the church is trying to do in this first reading. Um, let all the nations praise you. It sounds like such a happy, upbeat Psalm, but we forget that again, if you read the story of Acts of the apostles, there's a lot of the, there's a lot of people in that book that don't want that to happen. Right. I mean, it sounds like the, oh, it's just given. Oh yeah. Let everybody. And again, there's all sorts of ways we can apply that to our own lives. There's all sorts of people in our lives that are just distasteful and like, okay, that's great if you want to believe in this, but I don't want to have community with you. And I don't want you necessarily to come to my church, you know be in a church over there. You know what I mean? Absolutely. This is the mentality. I mean, and so many of these uh the folks in acts and these bad teachers are like, "Well, it's okay if they want to be a part of the family, but we're not going to share meals with them. We're not going to actually have fellowship together. They can have their own fellowship and they can do it over there." But that's actually not what the family of God is, right? Which is important. So, this uh this psalm, these words are not a given. Let every nation on earth praise you. Well, some people don't want every nation on earth to praise him. Right. Some people and you know, again, there's all sorts of ways we can apply that today. But I mean, think of the nations or the cultures or the people that we just rather have vengeance on. Hmm. We would rather see punished because maybe because they've done terrible things. And there's plenty of cultures and plenty of different groups of people that I can think of that have done horrible things in to Christians in large part. Do we want them to praise the Lord or do we just want them to see punishment? Do you know mm. what I mean? And there, yeah. God is just. There is justice. But it's a it's a challenging thing. I I think people are are challenged by how radical Pope Francis' call to mercy is. Mm. And it's making a lot of us be like, I don't, I don't know if I want to extend mercy to those people. And I'm not sure if I'm comfortable about all these people that are excited about Pope Francis. He's my pope. He's our pope. Who are you guys to kind of you know, jump on the bandwagon mm. if it is a bandwagon. You know what I mean? There's a, okay. there's skepticism in that. Yeah. But it's real. So the point is, uh, nothing has changed since the first century. We're the, <laughs> we're the same people we always have. Now. Yeah. <laughs> Just with iPads. Just with iPads now and Apple Watches like you have. It's true. Sorry, Which your Apple Watch came up earlier. It did. It. I won't
1: talk about why. <laughs> okay. Revelation. Revelation. This is cool. Dude, okay. So uh, so as I was studying Revelation and the heavenly city of Jerusalem coming down out of heaven, you know, I know, you, you know, uh, you and I both know that numbers are often qualitative and not necessarily quantitative. Correct. But it's really fun to play with the co- Well, they're usually both. They're both. It's not an either or. Because
0: oh. remember, Hebrew is not either or. That's true. Numbers were always both. Well, well, so, for example, in Revelation, you know, when it talked about that John was writing this to the seven churches. Yes. There really were seven churches. Right. That's not a, a metaphor for something. But seven is also meant to represent a totality a perfection. Right. So all of us. But it was both. There really are seven churches but those seven churches represent the rest of us. Yes. But anyway, important distinction, I
1: think. Well, so so if you uh, so there's a big section cut out of the middle of uh, Revelation today, and it talks about the nature, the materials by which it's built, the I materials know. of the wall, the materials of of it's it's all gold, and it gives the measurements. I know. I
0: wish we had that. And and the measurements, the measurements are really important.
1: And the measurements are really important. And do you know that if you take them literally, that uh, that it's about Uh, That the heavenly city of Jerusalem is about 1,400 to 1,500 miles high and that it would actually consume most of the entirety of North America, that it would actually sit... Um, on America and it would extend 1400 miles up into space which would actually give us an exosphere if it was 12 if it was um it would get into the exosphere which is funny because if you had 12 foot high ceilings in the floors there'd be about 600,000 floors within the heavenly Jerusalem sounds legit I know it's like dude it would be gigantic it's like it's bigger than anything that you could ever possibly imagine Except for one thing. Well, no, it's bigger. It is bigger than anything. It is. But the
0: dimensions—I think we talked about this before. The dimensions actually match up. So, one, number one, it actually says—I think it's in verse fifteen—it's four square, so it's a perfect cube, right? But it also, the dimensions match up to what you read about in First Kings uh, chapter chapter twenty, chapter six, verse twenty, which describes the dimensions of the Holy of Holies. So, I mean, what this is saying is that this new city that's descending from heaven is a new holy of holies. What's the holy of holies? What's simply the place where God dwells, right?
1: Which is interesting because all the altars in orthodox or or um or uh, uh um, eastern churches, yeah. their altars are always square. They're always cubes. They know that. Yeah, they make their altars in cubes. We should do that. H-Hagia, that's a good idea. Hagia uh, Sophia, Sophia the The building itself is built in a cube with uh, then external um, bubbles. So it's it's like wow. th- there, there's a real like this is the thing is that we've That's been cool. we've been forever trying to actually get the dimensionality of the heavenly Jerusalem, both in our in our buildings. I mean, but the, now the cathedrals in Europe were also trying to actually get the height of what the heavens measured were off of. So one hundred and forty four. Oh, so they were actually trying to get 144 feet to try to make some semblance of what it would have been like. Interesting it, for the to be and to dwell in the heavenly Jerusalem. Like we're, fa- I'm fascinated by this. I think it's fascinating.
0: Um, but to go back to the qualitative part of this right. imagery, so it, it's both. That's important. Um, so the holy of holies, right? It's descending. It's a new, it's a new dwelling place of God. But but here's the thing. So I mean, for all intents and purposes, this is the very end of the Bible, right? Mm-hmm. And there's connections in the end, the very end of the Bible, with the very beginning of the Bible. And there's some really oh. profound connections that okay. I think are, I think are significant. So uh, for one thing, yeah. So there's the city descending, and and the one thing that strikes me. So and I think this is still in our readings. So we don't skip it. But a lot of the and you should appreciate this a lot of the stones that are included on this city are are mentioned they're labeled out right so yeah
1: which which actually masks to
0: the ephod of the high priest yes that's a part of it so the there's jasper and crystal and uh amethyst is in there maybe it's in the part that's skipped there's there's lots of stones sardonyx stone and yeah yep. that is on the ephod the ephod ephod Eph- Ephid. ephod Ephid. Effigy. Of, of the high priest. But do you know where else they show up in the scripture? Do you know where else they show up? Um, no. It's exciting. In Genesis chapter two, when creation is being described,
1: what are you talking about? We us? hear
0: about these rivers that are flowing out of Eden, and in Genesis two, in the rivers that flow out of Eden, it brings the soil with it that has gold and onyx and jasper and all of these stones. What? So, think about what you're seeing here. You have the very beginning of the Bible and the very end of the Bible. The beginning of the Bible, what you have two people. At the end of the Bible, those two people have actually grown into a city. And for the, for the Jewish mindset, in, in, the, in the Jewish ethos, the perfection of human life is having community to share life with. The more people to share fellowship with, the better. A city of people that has grown from a couple of people is what you want in the Jewish mindset. And not to mention, now you have these stones that were in the garden. You have humanity, the idea that humanity has been a good gardener, and these stones have been harvested and have now been placed on these beautiful buildings, which will actually help to give life to the community that God has grown through these things. This is an image of what God wants for his people.
1: Well, I mean, which goes right back to the whole idea that this is a reconstruction of the Holy of Holies. Because yes. what what what's taking place is that it's uh, Eden is being reestablished, but so far superior yeah. in dimensionality and inclusion than uh, you could have
0: ever possibly imagined. Not even in dimensionality and inclusion, but something else as well. Because, it, it, I mean, this is where... Uh, I don't know, this is where I think the modern environmental movement has it wrong. There, there's, there's, I'm very interested in ecological things and their connection to the Bible. Um, but there, there's, two, uh, there's two polar opposite extremes that you tend to find. Sometimes you find, it tends to be Christians, who have this sort of biblical idea that, well, the created world is ours, we can have dominion, we can do whatever the heck we want to, because God gave it to us, so who cares what, what happens, right? Mm -hmm. There's that mindset. But then there's this other mindset, and we we see this a lot in Boulder and in Colorado, where, no, 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 it's the opposite. And creation is always better when human beings have nothing to do with it. Wilderness is always better when we do not touch it, when it's untouched by human hands, right? Right. Neither of those things are actually true. Right. And the beauty of this new heavenly Jerusalem that's descending is that it is a mixture of garden, of of the natural world and the man-made world. Mm. It's a garden city which is, that's what actually trumps the Garden of Eden, which was this wonderful, beautiful place. Now it's not just the Garden of Eden. Now it's a garden that actually has community and fellowship and people and a city. But it's not a city that has overtaken the beauty of the garden. The garden and the city coexist in this beautiful way. That's the vision of the eschaton. That's the vision of the new heavens and the new earth, which is really, really beautiful, if you think of it. Because the Garden of Eden in Genesis 1, 2, and 3, it's actually not enough because there's not a family. I mean there's a there's a couple that are growing into a family, but for the Jewish mindset it's the city. It's the people together, the community, the city of God Zion, all people's gathering together. That's what you're going for. So this whole vision is the fulfillment of the hope that lies dormant in the Garden of Eden vision. Which is why it's such a fitting reading to show up in today's gospel, because this is what the church is struggling to move toward in the reading from Acts of the Apostles. Yes. We need to get here. No, we shouldn't get there. No, we don't want to include those people. Yes, we have to, because this is where God wants us to go. And now we see the fruit
1: of it, the answer to it in Revelation. Boom. Which is beautiful. It is, which leads us directly into the gospel. Yes. Because uh, it says, whoever loves me keeps my word. My father will love him. And we will come to him and make our dwelling with him. This is the thing.
0: throughout. We always get this idea. Come to him. Yeah, we always get this idea in the Bible that heaven is about us going someplace. Right. But the directionality in the Bible, most of the time, is not us going. It's God coming. He always comes to us. Jerusalem comes down to us. He comes in tabernacles will, with us to dwell with us. He Parousias, he comes. It's always coming down which is beautiful to me because it's the opposite of Christian escapism. Right. We're not looking to get out of here so that God can just, you know, we can just be with God and forget about this whole thing. We believe in a God that is transforming the world around us because that's so much more, that's so much bigger a vision than just a God who is just going to sweep us away and we can forget about it all. Right. Um, but th- this this passage is confusing. Uh, it, it starts in verse 22, what we don't get. So we're still in the Last Supper, right? And John gives us this this it's kind of beautiful. He gives us this long discourse in the Last Supper scene where Jesus is saying all of these things, which makes sense. I mean, you imagine a long, kind of leisurely Passover feast where they're stretching it out with these multiple cups of wine and they're having discussion. You can see how he could use this as a great time for teaching. Yeah. And um but Judas so he's talking about dwelling and being with his disciples, and Judas in the line before this, not and it makes it clear it's not Judas who betrayed him, it's the yeah. other one. Right. He says, well, wait a second. Why are you talking about manifesting yourself to us and not to the rest of the people? Because I think in a certain sense, he's still thinking, okay, he's going to make himself manifest as king, as the political leader, and we're going to be right there beside him. Right. And now he's like, well, wait a second. Are you not going to do that anymore? Are you not going to become this big visible Messiah? That's what we're banking on here, Jesus. What do you mean about this being with us and not with everybody else? I mean, you're the king, right? and Jesus goes on to to describe this it's pretty profound it's it's a little bit abstract to me about how this dwelling actually works but it's actually going to be this internal reality i was talking to a student yesterday and it was this it was it became this very innocent the conclusion that the student reached when we were talking is was just this very innocent frustration of well why doesn't God just make this stuff clear to everybody? Why doesn't he just show like, why is, why does the world not get, if this is all true, just show people. Right. And you know, the conclusion that we came to is that for whatever reason, God chose to make himself manifest to a very small number of people so that they could invest their lives in another small number of people and that they could do the same thing because that's actually a better way to do it. And God just, peering in a lightning bolt and say, everybody believe in me. I'm going to abide in you. That actually doesn't work. It's the fact that God dwells individually, personally in you and I, and we're called to actually go and do something about that and share that indwelling through our lives with the people around us. Again, this is what the critics and acts of the apostles can't wrap their heads around. We're not willing to do that, at least not for those people.
1: Well, I mean, it fulfills the Lord's command. I mean, like, this is the thing is that you get what you measure. I um, mean, you, you get so if if uh, if I say, Scott, you have to make sure that you meet with twenty people, and you I need you to have a lecture every month, and if you don't do that, then you're fired. Shoot, I yeah, know, but I get. Yeah, I I'm gonna that. I'm gonna get that. You know, like I'm gonna yeah, get that because right. that's what I'm measuring. Yeah. What is the the two great commandments? Love God above all else, and your neighbor is yourself. Yeah. So. He's actually built that into the real rhythm and the expansion of the gospel. Love God above yeah. all things else and your neighbor is yourself. Like yeah. he's saying, This is actually what I want you to do is I want you to love each other and I want you to love me. And so I'm going to build the whole nature of how to come to love me within communion with your neighbor. Right. And, and and I'm going to give you all the parameters of forgiveness. I'm going to do all these things because this is actually what I want because when we live in a city together, when we dwell together, we're going to have a harmony and a focus and an experience of personhood. It's personhood is is going to be so acute and wonderful and unique and various and harmonious within heaven, but... I need you to begin this now. And it's
0: important that the city is the end of this, not the beginning of it, and Ah. not the means through it. It's the conclusion. Mm. I mean, even look at Peter. I mean, the way this whole thing starts in Acts chapter 10, right? Peter is called by one guy named Cornelius, and he ministers to that guy. And through that guy, his whole family and community receives the Holy Spirit, and then that ripples out. I mean... It's not like Peter gave a big speech somewhere, and that's how everybody received the Holy Spirit. It was one person right. who had a dream. He's like, you need to talk to this guy. I mean, it's God, the match, spiritual matchmaker. Like, okay, you need to talk to this person. You need to talk to this person. And that's how I'm going to do this. Right. And then we have, what, the eternal city. That, that's, the, that's where – but you can't have it the other way. You can't have a city that then learns to live into community you have to have individuals who become community who grow into a city mm. at least the city of god right that's how it has to work boom which is why revelation ends with that note because that then we can close the bible and be like oh that's what we're longing for that's what god will do in the end i can move toward that and i can hold that out as my hope because then i know where i'm i know what i'm striving for right which is a beautiful way to live the faith so friends that's what we got. Boom. We will be back next week with a brand new episode.
1: That is unless I decide that Scott needs to have one of his legs amputated.
0: I can still do the podcast.
1: I guess that's true. That was a
0: weird thing to say, by the way.
1: Uh, yeah. That was. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> we'll see you
0: next week, hopefully. Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs> The Word in the Hill is a production of the Aquinas Institute for Catholic Thought here in beautiful Boulder, Colorado. You can find us online at www.lankyguys.org. See you next week.